0: open with a word of prayer this morning. Pastor Eric's going to lead us in prayer.
1: Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity here this morning. As always, Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your mercy, and we're thankful for your grace. We pray, Lord, that you just meet with us in a very real and special way, a personal way. We've come, Lord, to worship you, We've come to do it by lifting up our voices and singing and praising you. We've come to worship you by receiving an offering. We've come to worship you by being attentive to the preaching of the word of God. We pray for those that are watching on the live stream this morning. We pray, Lord, that you'd help them also to sense your presence there and draw them closer to you. Bless the junior church when they're dismissed and they go downstairs, speak to these young hearts, help them to see the need of Christ if they've never received him. If there's someone here today that has never received Christ or someone watching, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd move upon their heart, bring conviction, cause them to see their need, and this would be the day they'd be born again into the family of God. But thank you again for this day and each and every day that you give us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated.
0: Let's take our Bibles, please, and go to 2 Corinthians with me, if you would. 2 Corinthians. So we finished last week our series in the book of Romans. We've gone verse by verse through the whole book of Romans, and our theme has been renewed. And as you're turning to 2 Corinthians, I do want to, I've stuck with the theme because There's more passages of scripture that deal with uh, this renewal that God gives. Actually, at our men's breakfast yesterday, we spent a few minutes in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, which says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount, if you know it, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So this idea that God renews us, that he's given us not just an eternal life, but that begins when we die, but an eternal life that begins today. It's a renewed life. And so our theme verse has been Romans 2 and verse number two. Let's put that on the screen. Let's read it together. Romans 2 and verse number two. Hopefully we have memorized it by now. We've said it just about every week. So Romans 2, And verse number two, if she doesn't have it, it's on the handout. You can read it there. Let's begin Romans 2. I'm sorry, Kayla, I threw you. It's Romans 12. That was my fault. You're like, Romans 2, what are you talking about? My my brain is one place, my mouth is somewhere else. Anybody been there before? Not just me? All the time. All right, Romans 12 and verse 2. Begin together, ready? And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, last time, because this has been, how many weeks did you say it's been uh, 10? Steve tells me it's 10 weeks, even though this is renewed nine, he says it's 10 weeks. So we've done this, we've said this verse 10 times. Let's see if we know it. So no screen, no help. Don't look at your notes. Let's try it together. If you haven't been here the whole time, you get a pass. All right? But if you've been here six of the 10 times, no pass for you. All right? So I'll get you started. I'll look to peak to get started. Here we go. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not bad. Not bad. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. We'll pick a new verse for our next series, I guess. This will be great. Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, there's a really, there's a verse that I just, I was thinking about this, and I thought, I was thinking about verses that literally have the word renew in them. And this verse came out. And so I went back and I studied the chapter. And let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 first. first because this is, a, this is a really awesome verse. And this sets the tone for the, for the whole chapter, I think. So 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 16. Paul says this. For which cause... We faint not. But though our could you say these two words for me the our outward outward man though our outward man perish, yet the the inward man is renewed day by day, day by day. The outward man may perish, but the inward man is renewed day by day. I'd like to speak to you from 2 Corinthians 4 about the inner life, the inner life. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you'd help me today as I deliver this message. Lord, it's your word, and Lord, we want your word to have first place. I pray that we would be submissive to your your truth. Lord, I pray that we'd be eager to receive this morning Please speak to us, and please help me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, each and every one of us, along with the Apostle Paul, we have both an outward life and an inner life. You know, really, as we've been created, human beings, many people have identified, just like God is three in one, many people have viewed the the human creation, human beings as three-part beings as well, as well, as in body, soul, and spirit. Now, you'll find the Bible use other names for that, like the heart or the mind, and sometimes people de- debate if, the, if, the, if, the, if humans are three-parts, two-parts, but either way, the Bible clearly teaches us that there is an inner component to who we are, and an outward component to who we are. Now, both of those. Now, now, what's interesting about the Christian message is this. Let me ask you this, and I kind of gave it away already. Which of those is God concerned with? Now, we might be tempted to say the inner, right? But the fact is, it's, it's both. Trick question, I set you up, right? So, it's both. And this is different from most other religions. Many, like, Eastern religions are being becoming popular again. And what they teach, like Buddhism and even some forms of Hinduism, they teach that the key to spirituality is to deny the outer, deny the outer, and then to have only an inner experience. But the Bible actually speaks of both. That both our outer person, our, our body, our physical experiences, and our inner spirit and soul both facets of our being are created for God's glory. And interestingly enough, which of those will live for all of eternity? Again, again, we're tempted to say, well, the inner, but the fact is, it is both. It's both. And that is unique to the Christian message, that we are both body, soul, and spirit created to live eternally. That someday we will get new bodies, renewed bodies, if you will. Paul here is focusing on the contrast between the experiences of his outward life and his inner life. And I want us to see some things, and it's not that the, again, there's nothing about the outward life that is bad, but his outward life is faced with difficulties. In fact, look at verse number 16 again. Look at verse number 16 once more. He says, for which cause we faint not, that." sometimes it's translated, we don't give up heart. We don't give in. We're not going to fail. He says, we faint not. We don't, he's like, we're just going to keep going. And Well, why? Well, look what he says. Though our outward man perish. That's a, it's a linear verb in the original language. It's literally, it's saying, our, my, Paul is saying, my outward body, my outward man is perishing. I feel like it's just fading away. I'm losing it. You say, wow, this is kind of intense. Well, if you knew what was going on in the apostle Paul's life, it would make a lot of sense. Because right now, when Paul says, my outward man is perishing, he is physically dealing with health problems. And I'm sure some of us at different points in our life, we can definitely relate to that. But when Paul says, my outward man is perishing, he, many people, many uh, biblical scholars, they believe that Paul had some serious difficulty with his eyes. But it wouldn't have just been his eyes. He's older when he writes 2 Corinthians. He's dealing with, he's dealing with years and years of physical abuse that he's endured. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's, gone, uh, he's been shipwrecked. He's gone through all kinds of experiences that would have worn on his body. And he literally is saying, my outward man is perishing. And Paul would wake up and sometimes he's writing from prison cells. And so the outward man is perishing. Not only is he dealing with health and physical pain, but he's dealing with serious emotional problems in his life. You say Paul is? He talks about the sorrow over people that were once close to him, turning their back on him. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever experienced that? That's what the Apostle Paul, when he says, my outward man is perishing, he's saying, all these physical and emotional situations in my life, things are just, they don't feel really good right now. So if you, if you, it, you know, we can read these verses kind of theoretically, like classroom style, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. But imagine the condition, if you had seen Paul when he wrote those words, if you could see his hunched, his, him hunched over, if you could see the, the the lines of care and worry on his face, the circles around his eyes. Wow, the words might give us. We might have a little. They might make a little more impact. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed. How often? Every single day. He says every day. Every day, I wake up with a fresh renewal from God. Every day, while the outside is weak and frail, the inside is filled with strength and power and ability. And he spent, and that's really the summary of what he explains. Each of us has an outer life versus an inner life. And sometimes your outer life is strong, it's vital, it's, it's capable, it's accomplishing, and sometimes not so much. But no matter what the condition of the outer, the inner can always be renewed and strengthened by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit. Go back with me to verse number one, and you can turn over on your notes today. I want to show you just four things, four things about this renewed inner life. I want you to see that it is an enlightened life. It is, secondly, an empowered life. Thirdly, it's an elevated life. And fourthly, it is an eternal life life. First of all, I want you to notice the enlightened life that we have through Christ. In verse number one, Paul begins by saying this, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. This is a bit of an introductory statement to this theme. What Paul is saying here is I have been given a special ministry by God, and Paul embraced it it, the ministry that he's talking about is spreading the gospel among the world. Paul's saying, I have been given this. And what's, what's, amazing about the, what's amazing about the ministry that he's received, Paul says that he's received it because of mercy, because of God's mercy. And Paul probably remembered back to the days in his life when he opposed Jesus Christ, when he opposed Christians, And he says, oh, because I've received his mercy, he's given me this ministry of the gospel. Because of that, we're not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to go forward by faith. And then he describes in verse two that he's renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What he says there is, you can examine me. You can look at how I've handled the word of God. And I've done it truthfully. I've done it carefully. And I've done it in a way that my conscience is clean. And if you search your conscience, you would know that I have faithfully given you the word of God. But now he shows us something very interesting in verse number three. You see, there was a problem. Sometimes when Paul would preach the gospel, people would come to faith in Christ. But sometimes when Paul preached the gospel, the the reaction would be completely the opposite, totally opposite. And there were people that were hard, and people that just would not hear. Have you ever been there? You've tried, you've prayed for someone you love, or you've shown Christ to someone you've loved, and it just seems like it's not getting anywhere. You've been there? Well, take heart. The Apostle Paul was there. The greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. And he explains the reason. And the reason is because of the opposite of what you and I have experienced if we're Christians. You see, if we are believers, it is because... Our eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Well, why is it hidden? Look at verse 4. In whom the God of this world... Now, you see that the translators did not capitalize that God right there because we understand that the reference here is the God of this world. It's the it's the, the forces of evil. It's the devil. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, he... he explains to us that there is a spiritual blindness in the world. There's a spiritual blindness in the world. And what happens is the the role of the devil in the world, and we do believe that the Bible teaches that there is a real personal devil, Satan. He is our adversary. He is the one that opposes the truth of God. And so the the number one objective of the devil is is to blind the eyes of men and women so that they will not see the glory of Christ. How does he do that? Well, I think you could identify several ways in which he does that. In the day and age in which we live, in the culture in which we live, I would, I would propose to you that one of the chief ways that the devil blinds the eyes of individuals is through prosperity, through prosperity, that we are just so content. We have just received so much in in the West. We've been the benefits of, of wealth and abundance, that even the poorest, even the very poorest in our societies often, not always, but often have things that are the envy of the rest of the world. And because of that, often the attitude of Western citizens, is to say, well, why do I need God in my life? I have everything that I would want. There's a blindness that comes from prosperity. But it's not only that. I would think there's a blindness that also comes from spirituality. What do you mean spirituality? I mean false spirituality. That we live in a a time, a day, and an age of ultimate choice where we can choose. You can even in the Berkshires in southern Vermont, where we don't have a lot of options compared to other places, you can go out and choose from dozens of options for your lunch today. You can go home and turn on your television, and you can can choose from thousands, literally thousands of programming experiences that you would like to enjoy. I just saw once the Football season ended, I've seen all the commercials that they're starting, they're revitalizing a new football league. So that just in case you didn't get a football from September to February, they're bringing in another option for watching football. We live in a day of ultimate choice. And I enjoy making a lot of those choices, but that has affected the spiritual realm. Where, we, where our society feels that we can see all of these choices behind us, but they have blinded us to the one-way truth in life, which is Jesus Christ. So people will choose a little bit of uh, this belief system, and they'll mix it with a little of that belief system, and they will put together their own concoction of spiritual experience. There's spirituality that, has, that can blind the eyes of people. There's abundance and materialism, the the pleasures of the world. All these things blind the eyes of people who are not believers. Well, what is the hope? Well, the hope is the light in the brightness of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, Jesus himself preached to people who were blind. In fact, that was one of the prophecies that when Messiah would come, he would open the eyes of the blind. He would open the eyes of the blind, and Jesus did that literally, but most importantly, he did that spiritually. He opens blinded eyes. And what's amazing is that even if you read in the New Testament, many people who Jesus said, you are blind leaders of the blind, eventually, some of those very people would see the light of Christ. Paul himself was at once blinded, and he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and while he was spiritually blind, what did Jesus do? Jesus shined to Paul in a bright light, and for several days, Paul was physically blinded. Just interesting imagery in the Bible and in these accounts. Well, look with me at verse number five, for we preach not ourselves... There's nothing that we can say to you. There's nothing that I can say to you in and of myself. Boy, this is a a lesson for every person who claims to be a pastor or a preacher, every person who claims to speak in the name of God, to remember this. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. There's only one name that is worthy of lifting up. There's only one name that is worthy, and that is the name of Jesus. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. When did he do that? When did he do that? Day one. Day one. And God said, let there be light. And what? There was light. With the spoken word, the Bible says that in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The first creative act, specifically, is God bursting into the darkness of of creation and shining his light. By the way, the light was created before the sun, the moon, or the stars, because God himself is the source of light. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Before Before there was any object that could radiate light, God himself was the light. And if you go to the end of the book, and I mean the beginning of the book is Genesis, you go to the end of the book, which is the book of Revelation, you'll find it started in Genesis with God as the ultimate source of light, and it's going to wrap up in Revelation because in the new heaven and the new earth, it says in that city, there is no need of the sun for the lamb is the light thereof. Jesus is light. Almost every appearance of God that you would read about in the Old Testament, there's a bright light that shines. And for you and I, who have experienced the love of Jesus Christ, we know that there was a time in our lives where we were in darkness. We were in darkness. But God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And he shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of, Of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have an enlightened life. See, listen, as a believer in Christ, please never, never ever start to think that you are better than anyone else. I listened to a it was kind of sad. This clip came across my feed. It was some comedian that was a, obviously was raised a Christian and then uh, departed from the faith. But she said this. She said, oh, I used to be a Christian, but you know, the hardest thing was having to be better than everybody else. And she was making a bit of a joke like that. And I didn't listen to the whole thing. I didn't, I didn't really care to. But it did stand out to me, and I remember listening to a pastor say maybe 10 years ago, just remember reminding us all that we are better than no one. We try to pattern our lives after Jesus Christ, follow his teachings, but the fact is, the fact is, we are sinners saved by grace. Like John Newton said, I once was blind, but now I see. We've we've received an enlightened life, not because we are so enlightened, but because the light of the face of Jesus has shined in our hearts. So listen, be patient with your friends, with your family. Be patient with those and keep shining the light. Keep shining the light, let the light be seen Because God specializes in shining light in dark places, with brightening, darkened hearts. But the only hope for our society, and that's why I think that sometimes hyper-political activism misses the mark, because we're never going to moralize our society. Only the light of Jesus can make a transformation. Let's be people who speak the name of Jesus, point people to Christ. We have this inner life. Paul says, my outward man is perishing, but oh, I am renewed. And it all starts with the fact that the light has shined in my life. The light has shined in my life. That's an empowered life, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So verse 7 is a cool verse. We have this treasure. Well, what treasure is he speaking of? He's speaking of the gift of the gospel. The first thing he did was he used the illustration of light. Now he's saying that the gift of the gospel is a treasure, a precious treasure. Now, what's amazing is this. Paul says, what did God put this awesome treasure, the gift of his son, the gift of his salvation? If you had a treasure at home, anybody have any treasure? Okay, we won't. Maybe you do. Think of that thing, you know, so much is digital nowadays, but maybe there's some physical object that you treasure, Think about what you keep it in. Think about how you protect it. Now, in the days of the early church, in these ancient days, they, you, could, you could get a box of wood. You could get a, uh, something fashioned out of iron. You could secure it. But literally, the earthen vessel was a jar that was made out of clay. Ever heard that expression, jars of clay? he's saying this. He's saying that God's gift of salvation has been put in a jar of clay. Now, a jar of clay is a little bit fragile. It's a little bit delicate. It's not particularly beautiful, but it's sufficient. It's sufficient. You wouldn't display it in the living room, but it's sufficient what are the jars of clay? We are these bodies, weak, frail, but sufficient and beloved to be given and entrusted with the treasure of salvation. God has put his treasure inside of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, why did God do that? Why aren't, we more, why aren't we stronger? Why aren't we more capable? Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Like, God, I'm just, I just you know, why can't, just make me stronger. Make me more, uh, make me taller. Make me, make me faster. Make me smarter. And God says, no, I just need you to be a jar of clay. Because in your weakness, the excellency of the power is not about the jar. It's of God. The power is in God, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, part of this, Paul is saying my outward man is perishing, but my inward man is being renewed, and he says, I don't have a whole lot of expectations for my outer man. It's going to wear down. I was listening to a podcast recently, and they described the human condition, and they said, you know, Getting older, getting older is an act of humiliation that leads to the ultimate humbling of death. Now, I don't mean to be, to be bleak, but, but isn't that interesting? Because in our youth, we, are, we can do impressive things, and we have vitality and strength, and then all of a sudden, there's a humbling, a physical humbling before our very eyes that begins to happen. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about here. It's exactly what he's describing. Because through that humbling, and may we be Christians. And I know I'm not quite there yet, and you're like, boy, Ethan, it's, you, know, you haven't even reached 40 yet, so it's easier for you to say than for some of us. But listen, may we all be Christians. May we all be Christians who, as we age, and as our physical bodies become less glorious, as we age, may the glory of God in our lives be more spectacular. <clears throat> um, a personal story: When I was, um, when Deborah and I first got married, uh, her grandmother was still alive, and she she died at eighty. How old was she? In her late eighties, she passed away. She went to heaven. And uh, she, I, I only met her three times, and we're getting ready to go on a trip to see some of her family in Switzerland. But I'll never forget um, Anna Bergen, and she was a woman that walked with God her whole life. And if you met her, she w- I mean she walked like this. This she family farm, family farm the whole life, spent too much time bent over in the vegetable garden, and literally things like that. And we spent, maybe 15, 16 years ago, we spent a few hours with her, and she, she told us about all her 37 grandchildren, and how all 30, that's, that's an accomplishment right there, right? And how all 37 grandchildren, uh, that she prayed for them every day, and she was praying, and she knew the ones that had accepted Christ and the ones who hadn't. And if you had just looked at her from a distance, I never, obviously never knew her when she was young. Her outward man was pretty unimpressive. But her inward man was glorious. Because though the outward man perish. The inward man is renewed day by day. But I've known some other elderly people. I'm preaching, we preach to the young people a lot, and preach to the old people. Is it okay if I say that? All right? Yeah, that, that's acceptable in church. Like, young people, listen to me. Old people, listen to me. That's not as acceptable, right? But I'm going to do that for just a minute. I've also met old people who, who get to that point in their life and become cranky and bitter and miserable because the outward man is perishing. And our culture is telling you, do everything you can. You know, fix yourself up, get plastic surgery. It's, it's on, and I'm not making a joke. It's literally the movement of our day is do everything you can to stop from getting old. And Paul says, look, this outward man is perishing. But there can be a renewal day by day by day. You can be the strongest at the end of your life. Not in the outward man, but the inward man. Our weakness displays his power. Paul says, verse 8, we are troubled. Everywhere. Paul's like, everywhere I go, I face trouble. I turn over here, people don't like me. In the church, I mean, you think about Paul's life. This is Paul's life. First over here, some government official wants to run him out of town. Then he comes over here. And some uh, rabbi in a synagogue wants him Stoned. And then he comes over here, and he's talking to a Corinthian church, and some of the people in the Christian church that he helped start, they don't like him either. Who would sign up for that? And Paul's like, everywhere I turn, I'm troubled on every side. But you know what? I'm not distressed. It it hasn't gotten me yet. Troubled on every side, but not distressed. Sometimes I'm perplexed. I don't understand. Anybody been there, God? I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Perplexed, but oh, I'm not going to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down. I love this one. Cast down, but not destroyed. I think of it happened in. Um, I think it was in Lystra. I'd have to double check. I think it was in Lystra. Paul was literally cast down. They literally took stones as they would tried to execute him. And they threw stones against his body and they left him cast down thinking he was dead. But as they walked away, by the power of God, Paul stood back up. And do you know what he did when he stood up? Do you know where he walked? Back into the city. He walked back in. You've cast me down. You've beat me down. and, And friends, life can be that way sometimes, can't it be? We can come and we can feel forsaken, cast down. But he reminds us that there is no power that can destroy me because I'm kept by the power of God. Cast down, but not destroyed. Verse 10 now, he goes from this being cast down and he describes an elevated life always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. What is he saying? He's saying this. As I suffer all these things, what I'm doing, I am carrying in my physical body. This is an identity thing. Notice this. Paul says, and of course it's figurative, but he says, I am carrying in my physical body not my own death, but whose death? Jesus. Paul says that his physical perishing, if you will, the slow death of his body over the course of his life, is reminding him to identify with the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if he identifies, if we are willing to identify with the death of Christ, that means we also identify with the life of Christ. March 26, we will set the baptism, the baptistry up here. And Lord willing, we'll have several follow Jesus in baptism. And when those individuals go down in the water, they say, In this life, I identify with the death of Jesus. I am buried with him in baptism because my life is not my own. I am dead to who I was. I share in the death of Christ that his death was effective for my sins. And then now I have a new life. I'm raised. I come up out of the water and I identify with the life. But Jesus said this, if any man will save his life, he first has to lose it. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his life. Cross and follow me. See, Paul understood this that the death to who I used to be is the door to who I am in Christ. Our identity is in Him. Verse 11 For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's the outward. So then, Death worketh in us, but life in you. This is really cool. Paul's describing how God is also using his suffering to accomplish new life in who? The Corinthian church. He says, I realize, and this is his ministry. He says, that through my suffering, other people are coming to life in Christ. Do we ever think of that? Have we ever, in the suffering and the difficulties that we endure, have you ever considered, and maybe you have, but think about this, have you ever considered who is God trying to reach through my suffering? I heard just a powerful testimony last week about a a mother who lost daughters in, in a terrible tragedy. She said it was hard to understand but then she said, I heard so many reports of people who came to know Christ at the funeral of my daughters. I thought, wow. That's what Paul's talking about. Death is working in me, but life in you. Verse 13. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. That comes from Psalm 116, if you'd like to study that later. He quotes the psalmist, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Do you believe? Do you believe that he who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ? Paul says, we believed and therefore speak, knowing. You see, belief isn't thinking, Belief is knowing, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. This is resurrection, that the ultimate aim of the Christian life, the ultimate aim of the Christian life is not, is not a happy life experience in America. The ultimate aim of the Christian life is not to purchase the home that you had hoped for. It's not to have the retirement that you had hoped for. It's not even to have the family that you had planned for. The ultimate aim of the Christian life is that we are headed toward resurrection day. And Jesus is accomplishing something. And I don't always enjoy the experience, but I I trust the experience. I believe that something is being accomplished, not for today, but for resurrection day. And of course, there's, it's, it's not a, a bleak fatalism. Of course, there's joys and, and excitement and, and wonderful things along the way. I'm not, I, but what I'm saying is sometimes we miss the point. We make all of the plans for now and all the plans for our children. Moms and dads, this was a good challenge to me a long time ago. You are not preparing your children for their college entrance exams. You're not preparing your children for the sports scholarship. You are preparing your children for Judgment Day, for Resurrection Day. That's what we do. Because we believe, finally, that this renewed life is not only enlightened and powered and elevated, but it is an eternal life, that God has given us an eternal purpose Verse number number 15, for all things, for all things are for your sakes. Now, wait a minute. I thought everything was supposed to be for God. Paul says, all things are for who? For your sakes. This is an interesting thing about our relationship with God. Yes, he created us for his glory, but he created us for our good. He set his love upon us. It's it's not just a capricious, well, I've created you, you will serve me. No, I've created you, I will give you everything to make you fulfilled. I will give you everything to make you satisfied. And in your enjoyment of me, God says, you will find ultimate satisfaction, and I will be most glorified. For all things are for your sake, but why? Why? that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. In other words, I found grace, and you found grace. And Yesterday at our men's prayer gathering, we we gave testimonies. And do you know what happened in that 10 minutes or so of testimonies? The abundant grace that was experienced by many of us we all gave public thanksgiving and public testimony that redounded to the glory of God. When you sang this morning, you sang to God, to his glory, looking at what he's given, the grace that he's given us is now shared among many. And God's desire is, was, has always been to have a multitude of his creation, to praise him, to enjoy him, and to worship him. Forever. There's an eternal purpose. All things are for our good and for his glory. I've said this before, but without God, what true purpose, what meaningful purpose is there to any life? Those who are skeptical of of the of Christianity, I would encourage you to think about that. What is the ultimate purpose of your existence? apart from a loving creator. Eternal purpose. And through Jesus Christ, today we experience what we have been eternally created for. Verse 16, where we began, for which cause, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, circle those words, for our light affliction. Now, if I said, it wouldn't be the great pastoral counseling move, like somebody's like, oh, I've been suffering, sounds like a light affliction to me. He'd be like, get another job, man, (laughs) you know, do something else. I'll pray for your minor inconvenience. But it means something coming from Paul, because we know he suffered. And he describes his suffering as what? Light affliction. Why? Because it's just for how long? Just for a moment. It's working for us. That's interesting. That the, the afflictions that we experience are actually working, not just in us, but working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There is glory that awaits you in heaven. And some of you have suffered far more than others. And I want to encourage you today. I don't know why, but I do know the promise of God's word. that the, the, it, it, You can question this interpretation or not. This is how I see this. The greater you've suffered in the name of Jesus, the greater your, the glory that awaits you if you've been faithful, faithfully enduring. Because after all, we're all just jars of clay. Like, oh, well, he gave the sermons, or he traveled to another country, or he did this. Jesus says, my servants suffered for me. They shared in my suffering. And if you're faithful in that, there's a far more exceeding and eternal weight of Glory while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen is eternal what what do you have to hold on to when life gets tough? I look across the room. I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that basically every person in this room would answer, I cling to Jesus. I hold to Jesus. But maybe there's someone here or someone watching that you've been clinging to yourself or other people or some religion that you were raised in or you're clinging to... Paul is giving us here... I would just pray that through the word of God, your eyes have been opened today, that you need Jesus. That he died for you. He rose from the dead for you. And if you have never personally asked him to be your savior, I want to invite you to do that today. There's nothing There's, there's nothing that, can, that, that we can anchor our lives to apart from Christ. He will forgive your sin. He will give you hope. And he will give you an eternity in heaven. But you have to receive him by faith. If you've never done that, would you do that today? I mean, right now, make the decision right now. Say, yes, I'll trust Jesus. In just a minute, I'll lead you in a prayer. If you've never done that, how you can say, yes, today, I'll trust Christ. And for those of us who have, who would answer, yes, what is your hope? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. For those who would answer with the name of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to be renewed today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and throughout the week. Be encouraged. Don't faint. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. God is accomplishing something. Don't get bitter. But though your outward man may feel like it's perishing, your inward man can be renewed day by day. Let's come to prayer. Would you come to prayer with me? We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. Nobody moving around, please. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. The prayer doesn't save. I like to make that very clear. The prayer, can't, the prayer doesn't bring you into this relationship. The prayer is when you express in your heart to God that you believe in him. So if this is your heart, would you pray something like this? Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, pray something like this. Say, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I repent of my sin. I repent of trusting in myself. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. I ask you to save me. I put my faith in you and you alone. Would you do that right now? Pray something like that. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today. Christians, as we prepare to close the service, maybe you need encouragement today. Maybe you need to pray with someone. Maybe you need prayer. We've been putting on Facebook all over, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you. Maybe there's someone in this church, and you're like, I'm just going through it right now and I'd like somebody to pray with me. Well, you can pray at your seat. I'll be up here in the front. If, if you'd like to have someone pray with you, you can come sit on this front row today and, or talk to me after the service, talk to Pastor Eric after the service and say, would you just pray with me? We'll pray for you today. We'll take a minute this, this morning. If you say, I just, I just feel beat down. I feel discouraged. I feel like my outward man is perishing. And I, I be, but I believe that Jesus, that Jesus is, is my strength. So let's go to the Lord right now. Either pray at your seat or come forward if you'd like someone to pray with you. But let's spend a few minutes and just call out to the Lord this morning. Lord, I just pray that you'd meet every need in this room today. I believe there's burdened hearts in here. Lord, there's people carrying things that I cannot understand. But we know that you hear us. We know that you answer prayer. So I pray for each need that's in this room. Lord, I pray that that their inner person would be renewed right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.